in a nutshell, you can understand that there are some differences. In, it can be country difference, it can be industry differences. And I believe that, uh, and not believe, I, I know that even the same agriculture difference in post-Soviet Union countries is different from U.S. countries. In Saudi Arabia, it's different from U.S. countries because maturity of the industry in different countries is completely different. And it affects people that work in this industry and these people affects everything because they uh, like project their own experiences, their own beliefs to their business, to their, to their work life. That's why you can distinguish some commonalities that more common to particular industry, but also see a lot of differences. And, you, and if you want to change something, you need to account for both. Right? You, you cannot just ignore because we, as a human being, we are all uh, irrational at some points, but this is irrationality, this, they exist. So you cannot just ignore because if, if you just pretend that it's irrational, uh, you will just not achieve any changes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Wise and Addicts podcast episode. I'm glad to be here today with you again. It's been a while. Uh, I'm Ricardo, your host for this episode. Uh, I have background in design, communication. I've been through lots of different industries, and today I'm adventuring myself in the act business. Uh, this podcast is, a, is an idea, a platform for business leaders, marketing leaders, communication leaders to share their thoughts, uh, you know, their experiences and uh, a few of their lives and professional professional and personal aspects uh, of what they do. Uh, today, I have here with me Slava from Acto. Welcome, Slava. Hi, Ricardo. Thanks for inviting me and for having me today. I'm really excited and looking forward to share my experience, my thoughts on whatever topics that might be interesting to you and to your audience. Awesome. So Slava, we've been, uh, we, we met a few times. Uh, I know a little bit of your history and man, you've been through a lot of different uh, challenges in your life, especially like profession. Professionally, can you share a little bit of uh, your background, who you are, what you did? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, it's, always, it's always hard to introduce myself to a new person, to a new audience, because you know a lot about yourself and uh, things that it's all quite uh, boring, not interested, obvious, but I will try to do my best here. Yeah. Um, I was born in Ukraine and I was living in Ukraine, uh, I think till age of 28 years. And then I, the last 12 years I spent in, in Russia uh, working. And last year I moved to the United States. In terms of my professional background, I studied finance and I worked in finance industry in different companies, in commercial banks, in international audit companies, investment banking for the first seven years. Uh, second stage of my career is uh, management consultant, international management consultant. I worked in McKinsey & Company. This is top global management consultant firm. And I worked in, uh, I, I did the path from business analyst, it's like entry position, to associate principal, it's a partner position. Uh, and I worked there nine years, and I think this is the company that uh, played a big part in uh, making me a professional, international professional. Then I spent two and a half years on industry, and this was actually my transition to agriculture. I worked as director of department, meat processing department, and I was responsible for managing meat processing plant, uh, plants. Uh, I manage three plants and also disposal plants. Uh, additionally to that, I was responsible for logistics and all marketing and sales, both export and domestic sales. This was a huge experience, completely different from consulting. When you're in executive role, you have PNL responsibility, you manage sales like uh, uh, five, uh, hundred million, yeah, half billion dollars per, per year, uh, almost 4,000 people under your direct management. 
uh, it's like uh, a huge when you have such big responsibility it's change your perspective on decision making uh, drastically from consulting world yeah and uh, since october last year uh, when, when i moved to united states i joined a different type of companies for myself um I joined technology company in software development. It's a technology company. It's much smaller size. But on the other hand, we have possibility to work with the whole industry and implement our new technologies to the whole protein production industry. So this is in a nutshell, in a nutshell what, uh, what I've done. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was pretty impressive when I started talking to you the other day uh, with all this background. How old are you again? Forty. Uh, Forty. Okay. Awesome. This this is a pretty pretty impressive uh, background you have there. So you've done all these amazing things. Have been through all these uh, different roles from consulting to you know having your hands on managing four thousand people uh, company. Uh, so having that in mind, but also maybe personal aspects of your life, what would, how, uh, what would be the top three experiences uh, you had in your life so far? Three experiences, yeah. Again, uh, thinking about more like professional experiences that uh, I think most interested to, um, uh, to, to, uh, to our listeners. Uh, I would actually talk about yeah, three experiences. And usually, and I think it's not an exclusion for me, it's for everyone. It's something that you actually spent a lot of effort and when odds was not an, at, at your favor uh, to accomplish something. It's more about experiences and achievements um, when it was really hard to do. And I, yeah, let, 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 let me start one by one because I, do, I don't think that I have like three, but for sure two I can share with you. And starting from the most, um, uh, from the most recent one, recent, um, it's uh, happened in, uh, when I was executive, when I was director of meat processing department and the company, when I just joined has very, not very, but it was industry standard, but high, um, accident rate, so low safety. And when you work in meat processing department, and it was swine business, so and poultry business, fish business, much more automated, and swine business, it's still uh, not automated. There are several robots in meat, in the boating area, but majority of operations done by manually with knives. And there are a lot of, um, there were a lot of accidents an accident rate, near misses, but also accidents. And when you try to change something that involves a large number of people, and at one plant I had 2,000 employees, 2,000 workers who worked already before I joined many, many years. So they have like a culture, they have like skills, some of them spend their 10 years. And when you try to change something, there is usually misunderstanding. It's, it's, it's hard to change for everyone. Uh, and that was not an exclusion. And when you, you don't know when actually something will happen. So it's working with culture. It, 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 to change something, it's not like tell people once or educate them once. It's... you. You require to change something that they need to do even when you're not around, when the supervisors are not around. And as a result, after, I think, two years, we've been able to decrease accident rate. It's called LTFR, like long-term incident rate, uh, by 70%. And I get this as personal personal accomplishment and this is something that was very this very meaningful to me because it's uh, yeah, it's it's very important to talk about safety it's not about only margins because behind all companies all production volumes all revenue numbers there is also people and it's not statistics right it's behind all statistics there are 
just personalities. And when you get some like trauma in, in any age, like in 50, in, in 20, you live with this for all your life. And it's not something that you can then fix with money. Right? And this one of my experiences that was very challenging for me to, to get, but also something that I uh, took with myself and uh, really proud of my team. Because, of course, you cannot change such, uh, you do, do such changes by yourself. Right? You can only lead, support, encourage. Uh, but it's what my team was has been accomplished. Yeah, this is about the first one. Uh, second one was uh, much less dramatic, but also involves a lot, uh, a large number of people. It was uh, uh, my pro- one of my projects in uh, with McKinsey in Australia, and we were changing also culture. Yeah, it's surprisingly, big, but my second experience is also about culture. Uh, and uh, we worked with an I called it army of 5,000 technicians it, it was telecom industry and we were trying to teach this uh, already mature professionals technician guys who was going to um, homes of people to fix internet or phone and to, to increase the we call it net promoter score. It's what marketing people will know. It's uh, NPS. How how company how uh, it's a net score or probability of how customers will promote your company. How how easy they will recommend to their friends and family. Yeah, and when you, a, a lot of technicians that work in telecom companies had experience of 20, 30 years, they started to work well before internet, well before mobile phones, even when the phones had not digit keypad, but uh, circle, if you, I don't know if you, if you actually use this. But uh, when you talk about customer experience to these guys, it's something not understandable, this sort of in different categories, what is important, what is not. But as a result, we were able, again, to, exp- to teach them to change the way they're working and we were able to increase productivity. That was one of the key targets of that exercise, but also in, at the same time, increase customer satisfaction. That the whole company, middle management, high management, previously thought that this is completely unachievable because they thought that this is, uh, has opposite, completely opposite direction. So you, you can improve one at the cost of the other. And we were able to achieve this all together. This was the second one. So in both cases, it involves several thousands of people. In both cases, it requires to work with with culture. Uh, But the legacy or the results that we achieved actually um, continues to live after the project ends. That's pretty awesome. First, I was impressed by like, that's something, right? Uh, it's not about impacting one or other lives, but the lives of many people. This, by itself, it's a you know great achievement. And the first one also got me like, hey, I never when when I stop to think about I don't know, uh, you know, safety procedures. Uh, well, today I'm in home office. There's not that many ways to get hurt in general. But uh, I've been through different industries where there was you know uh, chances of you know getting hurt and uh, injuries. So when you think about this and how that change in the processes and also in the culture, as you were mentioning, they can change their lives like forever. Uh, If you increase like 70%, uh, if you reduce by 70%, meaning each 10 people that would get hurt, now you have only three, right? So you basically you you made, uh, you, you gave another chance for the other seven to have a you know much better life without their traumas and all the limitations that they would cause. So this is this is massive. That's awesome. Uh, and, and it's not it's nice to see also like the how how you've been playing with different focuses. One thing is like safety uh, and now the customer satisfaction and all the, the the work you've done in the culture within the the company and how you know both both things connected. Uh, so today, in the challenges you are having, 
uh, with technology in the ivory business. Uh, how how would your parents describe what you what you're doing today? Your role? Uh, it's in the, in the, very interesting question, and it, it starts even with McKinsey because uh, I think now parents are much more understandable, much more understand what I'm doing now. Well, in McKinsey, when you imagine this young guys travel around the world doing completely start, uh, doing projects in different industries, different companies. Uh, I think majority of parents, it was a joke, but it's part joke because my parents, not from a business world, not from international business world. I, I they didn't know that such industries exist. And uh, I think this is a case for many, many consultants that uh, people usually think that that might be just a cover for for working in 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 in, in uh, intelligence agencies or being a spy because you travel a lot, you don't uh, look like uh, can provide some value for companies that work already for thirty year, uh, years, forty years, and you are just young, thirty years old. Like what can you, what can how can you help? Uh, and now I, I do more understandable, more common uh, job. Yeah? We are developing uh, software for uh, agriculture. And now I can easily, easily explain what, what, what I'm doing. Awesome. It's easier now. <laughs> uh, uh, Slava, so uh, now covering all these experiences you had, you've been through different industries and cultures. Can you share a little bit on like how were the challenges for you, you know, having to face these different cultures, um, you know, culture of industries and culture of, I don't know, countries, regions, uh, companies. How, how can you tell us a little bit more and tell us how that helped you, you know, developing your skills, becoming the person you are today? Yeah, I, I, I think both were... My, for, for this one, with developing myself as professional, actually McKinsey played a, role, a huge, huge role uh, in different aspects. First, be, by providing exposure to different, different industries, different business problems from top management point of view, like average, average um, project in McKinsey lasts about three months. I worked nine years. It means that on average, I, sh I completed around 40 projects. And pro 40 projects, imagine this as a different business challenges for top managers, like transformation or analyzing analysis of merging or acquisition of a particular company or post-merger management. And this is completely different um, industry, it's more or less the same because you start specialization on particular industry, but this is different company, might be different country, different people each time. So imagine that what experience you get working at 40 different jobs. And then once you get such exposure, you start your brain, you, you build a neural network, but in your brain that uh, start to look at each problem with uh, such a framework, part of this uh, you can synthesize and what McKinsey is actually teaching the consultants. Um, and some of them are more like on a soft side with working with people. And in a, in a nutshell, you can understand that there are some differences. In, it can be country difference, it can be industry differences. And I believe that... Uh, and not believe I, I know that even the same agriculture difference in post-Soviet Union countries is different from U.S. countries. In Saudi Arabia, it's different from U.S. countries because maturity of the industry in different countries is completely different. And it affects people that work in this industry and this people affects everything because they uh, like project their own experiences, their own beliefs to their business, to their to the work life. That's why you can distinguish some commonalities that more common to particular industry, but also see a lot of differences. And, you, and if you want to change something, you need to account for both. 
You, you cannot just ignore because we, as a human being, we are all uh, irrational at some points. But this is irrationality. This they exist. So you cannot just ignore because if if you just pretend that it's irrational, uh, you will just not achieve any changes. Awesome. Yeah, forty different companies basically. Wow, that's that's that's. Uh, I, I've been. I don't know how many jobs I've been through and uh, companies. I went through a few, not forty, uh, but through uh, to, to a few, through a few, and uh, it's just like you mentioned, you start developing some kind of framework that, again, you respect the individualities of each different company and, uh, you know, the aspects of the, those challenges. But at the same time, you start developing your own way of thinking, using the tools you've learned here and there, uh, you know, to to be able to adapt. I, I think flexibility and uh, the capacity of adapting is one of the main skills, you know, that yeah. we need to have today. Uh, if you think about technology, technology is changing so fast. I am a designer, uh, like I graduated uh, in design. And if I stop, stop to think like how I would be doing design, I don't know, five years ago versus how I would do today, which is not my focus today, but how I would do it, it's completely different. And one, the main reason is that chal- uh, the, the, technology. the technology has changed so much. I mean... You have AI that is just like, my God, it, with, a, with a few words there on your keyboard, you can do magic, you know, uh, yes. versus how long I would spend, uh, how much time I would spend, you know, uh, just to, you know, work in a few images and things. So if you're not prepared for change, if you're not able to have this flexibility, this capacity to adapt, yeah. you're, you, 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 you'll have some you know, bad experiences probably, especially today, you know, in industries uh, that are impacted by technology, which are basically every industry today, right? Technology is all around. There's no way to escape. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. You, you, You'll experience limitations, but also you'll, with every year, you'll just start to feel yourself less comfortable because you'll just stay behind what everyone else is, is, is doing. So, uh, Slava, on a, I, I like the, the things that we're bringing about McKinsey. I mean, you've been through the probably the most prestigious consultancy, uh, business consultancy firm in the world, right? Uh, lots of people, I'm sure that lots of people, not only in our audience, but around the world, business people would kill to have some, you know, some insights uh, to understand how, how is the way of doing, uh, how, how, how people, how professionals do things in McKinsey. Uh, you probably have, you know, a framework for solving problems. Uh, what can you share with our audience about uh, what you've learned at McKinsey? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I joined McKinsey as already thinking that I know a lot. And because I joined not fresh graduate, I, I joined as professional uh, after seven year, years having seven years of professional career in finance. And I was studying finance. Uh, there is a, in, in a very diligent and strict way in financial analysis, there is an uh, international organization of financial analysts called Chartered Financial Analyst, CFA, with extremely high uh, standards and requirements to be part of. Like they get... Um, they, they do very extensive, like six-hour exams once per year. So this is very high standard. Uh, and I was studying that. I already passed two out of three levels. And I was pretty sure that uh, I already, like, established professional. And I, I also remember myself having this bus or... Um, how to say this conspiracy about McKinsey. I read a lot press articles, how hidden, how close this organization is, how powerful that it affects uh, a lot of governments, a lot of countries, uh, like the most powerful people work with that. And uh, I also read about great, great projects, great examples of impact that this company 
uh, achieved. Because usually it, it's quite secretive and because of client confidentiality, it, it doesn't share a lot of information outside. And I remember myself uh, on the first day, on the first week of my McKinsey uh, uh, work, we, I've been sent to so-called introductory training, one week of intro. And that um, that training, that can, uh, participants was all around the world, like, uh, from uh, Latin America, from Europe, from US. So it was very international. And also it was very diverse in terms of background. And I joined as seven years worked in, in, in finance. There were guys who previously worked as a colonel in army. And someone had PhD in biochemistry in, and medicine. In, and there are a lot of different uh, profiles. And we were so excited to one of the sessions that called McKinsey approach to problem solving. And I think there are even several books uh, on, on this topic because McKinsey solves and focus on the hardest problem. And you can imagine the disappointment at the end of this session because everyone was said, but this is obvious. You explained seven steps, so market McKinsey approach, but it sounds like very obvious way. Uh, like obvious thing, there is no any know-how. There is no any how is a f- philosophical stone or magic ones that you can solve, like or sacred knowledge. No, it's it was just usual step by step approach to solving problem. Yeah, it was scientific scientifically rigid. It was practical, pragmatical, but. People usually overestimate, they, they, we, as a human being, and I'm, I'm not an exclusion, we want to think that there is something that we, like a silver bullet. And what McKinsey and work with McKinsey taught me in both theoretical and practical ways that by executing simple tasks with discipline, without skipping uh, any step, you actually get a remarkable results. Of course, it's, there is, it's, it's possible that someone with, uh, can come up with a great idea and then get a combination of luck, old environment, and then create a new technology, breakthrough technology, and create a new industry. But uh, in other 99% of cases, you get remarkable results just by doing usual common, uh, common, common sense. And people, even in very large companies like uh, Fortune 500 companies, top companies in every uh, in every country, they know about this. But for some reason, they are overwhelmed with job. They are just too arrogant to themselves. They are too confident. So there are a lot of different pitfalls, but they just tend to miss and skip one or two steps. And once you miss this, it's, it's like a foundation of, of the building. If, if you miss this, it doesn't care how well you structure top floor if foundation is, is screwed. And this was one of the key learnings at, 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 at McKinsey and uh, that shaped all my future career and, and work. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we're all all the time looking for tools that will do the you know some magic work and solve our problems. But at the end, it's it's about doing the ordinary things with consistency. Uh, you know, uh, really looking to do them with uh, you know with attention and you know taking care of those. It's about basically for me, it's about uh, consistency on the ordinary things. I think it replicates a lot with agriculture. Because in agriculture, many many agriculture has different uh, di- different type of uh, sub industry, in a, and there are uh, there are some industries when you have like with crops, with some crops, you have this just two weeks in the whole year when you have to do uh, 
plant your seeds, and then you you just wait. Uh, in simple words, it, it, it's wait, and then you have just one or two weeks in the whole year to harvest all your season. But there are other things like protein production, and like when you grow animal or rice, then you 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 have to be consistent 350 days per year or 360. And on when you look at all the small each individual step, it sounds very simple to do. The problem how you ensure that you do it 80% correct the whole year, 360 days per year, or 365 sometimes. And I think this is yeah. uh, applicable to many businesses even besides agriculture. Yeah, it's uh, for me good, uh, and sorry for if it's not exactly this expression, but good sense, well sense, uh, good sense is one of the most important things like i'm i'm doing some uh, construction yeah, repairs mm-hmm. yeah common sense thank you uh so i'm doing some construction repairs in a new apartment uh that i that i acquired uh, with my fiance and this apartment it has a place that just like rains and accumulates water there's no mm-hmm. you know place yeah. where the water yep. uh, can go and i was like uh, talking to the to, to this engineer that uh, we hired, and I was like, "Hey, I'm not an engineer, but shouldn't we have like some, you know, some place for the water to flow and you know leave this space?" And and he said, "Man, uh, of course you need to learn uh, mathematics and uh, you know know how to project things, but apart from a few things that you are more technical that you should know, the rest is common sense. Like you need to understand like." If it rains and it will accumulate water, yes. anyone can see that you need a place, you know, for the water to flow. So and and leave that space. So I think that that applies to you know, absolutely, lots of different, absolutely. Different and I have I, I I have business example to this, and I think this is one of the additional things that you learn being McKinsey at, at McKinsey or another top consulting company. One of the reasons why companies find themselves in a situation when they need external help is in, in culture of hi, in our, uh, having hierarchical culture. And sometimes even um, a CEO afraid to ask specific technical question, like he's afra- he afraid to challenge like some professional, technical professional, like head of the technical department or head of production with uh, engineering background and working with 30 years. And because there is a notion in that he, he's so worried in his reputation. But when you come as a consultant, you uh, don't have this obligation to be the smartest guy and you can challenge all assumptions that you're, you're making. And you can ask, being not expert in, in particular field, you can ask uh, a lot of things. And common sense really works. And uh, I usually tell the story about, about uh, mm, I think it was in Co- Co- Korea. In, uh, you know, these Asian countries have much stricter, much more hierarchical uh, cultures. And there was a, in, at one stage, a development of airline businesses. Uh, Korea had much higher accident rates, much, much more airplane crash- crashes. And when they started to analyze why it happens, what were the reasons? Because pilots actually had the same trainings as all Western culture pilots. They have the, the same facilities, the same programs, um, the same airplanes, the same approaches for maintenance and repairment. And they discovered that reasons were just cultural hierarchy. Because second pilot in in the the airplane, now we have a pilot in command who is uh, like captain, and then we have second pilot or second officer. And the second officer, his obligation is also to challenge. He has the right and obligation to dissent or to, to, to challenge some decisions, um, if 
he observed this. But in uh, Asia, when you have this very strict hierarchy, they didn't have this cultural. It was very hard to challenge your, your someone who is more senior than, than you are. And at, at the, as a result, they actually had airline crashes because of this. And even when they discovered this, they couldn't change it without uh, changing team structure. So they, they, when they just told, it was so deep in the roots of both guys, second pilots and, and captains, that they couldn't change. And the only thing that worked, they started to do international teams. They started to combine one courier pilot and with one that was from Western culture. And this was the only way that, that actually worked. And I think this example, this very bright example, can be transferred to any industry. If you have something, if, if there is no meritocracy, like the, if there is no, is not idea that is the most important, the truth that is most important, then it's possible that organization will choose not the optimal way. And it's applicable to all businesses. And we as uh, prof- business professionals, we should be always aware and remember about this irrational but objective existent pitfalls. Fear, right? Fear. Fear to <laughs> to yes. challenge someone in a higher hierarchy or to show your weaknesses by making questions that you think you should not make to someone that is in a lower exactly. hierarchy. Yeah. And it Those works from, from two sides. And this is when yeah. it's cultural, it's very hard to Hard, hard to change, hard, hard to break. Perfect, it is. And uh, so you were talking about like this, uh, you know, migration you're doing uh, uh, to the agri-industry. What what would you describe are the main differences or challenges you're facing now in the agricultural industry versus, you know, the experiences you had with the consultancy and even the companies you helped during the consultancy? I think that, um, and as I said before, agriculture, even the same industry, because I, I, in agriculture, I moved from McKinsey in 2020. Yeah, I, I, I moved to agriculture. I worked in, as executive in the swine production business. But even agriculture in, uh, and swine, poultry production, protein production, in U.S. is different from the same industry in, in post-Soviet Union countries. And I think one of the, both industries or industry globally is quite mature. Um, but in U.S. it's even more mature because it, it started to develop in current state like 90 years ago. In post-Soviet Union countries and all post-Soviet Union countries, I think there was a change of regime um, one so it's, Soviet Union has collapsed, and after that, a new industries has been built from, from from scratch. And I think now in uh, yeah, and the longer you work without change, the more harder for you to change. And you would expect that in in United States you should be much more advanced, but actually it's not it's not always the case in both technologies, but also readiness to change. Because you, you, as, as one client in, in, in uh, and we are working in, in, in the United States, we, we, we're working with uh, top producers in, uh, um, yeah, in, in the industry. And as one uh, client said that it's a pain, but it's a norm. And I think there's a lot of in this expression that it's, they understand that this is a pain. They have actual losses, they, but this is a norm. And everyone, 99% of workers on different levels accept this as, an, as a norm and you don't want to change. And wh- when you just start poultry business in, in, uh, um, like in, uh, in post-Soviet Union country just 10 years ago, you're much more... Uh, hunger to change to best practices. You don't have people who work there for 30 years. You have people who work there just for 5-10 years and they are much more open-minded to to change. 
And I think this is a huge difference that and that in in uh, uh, yeah how agriculture in U.S. different from from others. And I think you know I I, I find myself like there is was a joke or part of joke I I don't know what is exact. Uh, name in English, how to say this, but when a salesperson came to a developing country, salesperson of shoes came to development uh, country, there were two guys uh, from the same, same country or competing companies, they came to developing country, like in Africa, and they were completely different in they reporting to the mainland. Uh, one called and said, this is complete disaster. No one is using any shoes. Everyone goes barefoot. There is no market here. This is disaster. No market for us. And the other was on the opposite side saying that this is a great opportunity. No one using any shoes. Like no, no one has any shoes. Like, so this is a great blue ocean market. And I think this is yeah. a, a thing with... Uh, I, I feel myself a little bit like this. So we, we are developing a new product, quite new product that uh, not that hasn't been used by industry five years or ten years and we are at this initial stage when uh, we have this uh, new category of, of products and we need to educate and to explain and also work with uh, initial barriers of adoption to make uh, easier for uh, all companies to adopt these new technologies. Yeah, embracing changes and technology can be challenging, uh, and I, I can imagine I can figure that uh, in the in the ag industry, being even more even stronger uh, because it 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 can be a little bit more uh, you know traditional conservative, but uh, I think you hit the you you hit the point when you said uh, you know it's difficult to change. Uh, no, sorry. Can you repeat that? Uh, it, like, it's difficult to change, but the longer you wait, it will be more difficult, right? If you don't yes. want to embrace now, if you want to sell, that's. I think that's the the main point. Yeah, and um, agri agriculture industry is one of the least. If you put all industries in so-called digitization index or digitization maturity index, agriculture will be at the bottom together with construction. And there are a lot of fundamental uh, reasons for this, why it, it, it's, it's not by, by chance there was reason for this. But now I think we actually at the point when all those barriers have been removed and now it's more in our minds and minds of people who, who work in, in the agri-sector. Yeah, it's good to see that it's changing. Although it can be more conservative, conservative, yes, it is changing. Um, and Slava, there is also um, other side of your experiences uh, with uh, a little bit of communication, marketing, uh, customer experience. Uh, I've seen a few articles in Forbes magazine where you were part of those articles, right? And you talked about from I don't know lead generation to customer language and other other relevant things for people especially in communication i would say yeah customer uh, can you share a little yeah. yeah yeah exactly customer loyalty uh can you share a little bit about that with us uh sure sure uh, and i think uh, i would like to share this i think marketing language and because i think this is something that is overlooked by a lot of entrepreneurs and marketing and, and I think it will be much more important to, to talk, talk about this and a lot of the, um, all technology companies when they develop new product they try to uh, increase chance, chances for success and there are a lot of articles and good knowledge pieces to say that you should test you should understand your customer not only as an industry but also personas and understand the real pain points to try to, to find the product that really solves the, the pain point, the real problem. And I want to talk about the next step. So once you develop a good product, 
that really solves customer pain. But the next important step is to actually talk to your customer in the language that he understands. And even inside one industry, when we take talk about agriculture, about the same product, you need to understand one, what language they use. And even in one industry, on different levels of execution, they can use different languages. To give you an example, if you will talk to growers, and this is contract growers, people who work in the field and use such words about synergies or impact, they probably will think that you're talking not to themselves at all. And it will not it will not help you at all. So the idea is that uh, I like that one of marketing experts that uh, I learned a lot from, they use the common uh, this expression that I remembered, that your product should not only be like food, that's something obvious for your customers, but also it should look like food. And uh, I think this is a very great example analogy. And imagine, especially when you travel to a different culture. And for me, I think Asia is one of the most distant culture in terms of food. Uh, I, I remember that there are a lot of examples when you look at something and you don't feel any feeling of hunger or any appetite to actually try to eat it. Because for your brain, it doesn't look like food. And for locals, it actually does look like food. The same happens with, with, with marketing. You need to understand what your, your customer language and just speak to them in that language. It will increase your chances of success extremely, but also probably make it even possible. Because if, if you continue to talk in your uh, own, it will just not work. Perfect. We, we see a lot of that uh, in the, when we're doing like our podcasts and, you know, interviews, because uh, we do have a variety of people listening to us, right? From any of our uh, life, livestock-focused uh, podcasts, you will have people with a high, high level of uh, education. They're scientists with PhDs talking about nutrition, uh, health. And they tend to use much, let's say, uh, let's say much fancy words. Not fancy, but you know terms that they yeah, use. Yeah, really fancy. Technical fancy. people. Fancy. Yes, fancy yeah, words. They're, they're technical, and they they it's it's sometimes th those words are needed for them to dive deeper in the on sharing their 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 thoughts, right? Uh, but at the same point, we bring those people. Uh, we talk with them. We, you know, have these conversations. We record it for the audience. And sometimes you will have someone there that is a producer. And it's not not that interested on the detail of the you know the specific uh, thing that happens with uh, this organ or you know, uh, but the, but he's interested maybe in some more economical aspect on how that would impact their uh, their production. Okay, of course I I want to have have healthy pigs, but more than understanding how to this you know this uh ingredient will make the difference here i want to understand okay i want to i want to have a you know a, a more distance view high level picture how, yeah, we call yeah, it high helico picture. helicopter exactly. view yeah helicopter view yeah <laughs> perfect uh so this is something and uh, of course sometimes you need to have those more technical discussions because you want to impact technical people but a lot of times also you have people with uh you know that also want to understand that but in a different way, and your language needs to be uh, adapted today. To that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I remember my. Uh, I don't remember this uh, the source of this expression, but I like this. It's it not my thought, but it was also about the language. It was uh, saying that if a professor, do you understand what professor means? Like if professor cannot explain. To a cleaning lady, what he's doing every day in his office, then he doesn't understand himself. Yeah, and I think this is applicable okay. to marketing work. At, at uh, we should not use buzz fancy words. Yeah. 
perfect, perfect. I like this this saying also. We have the we have it here in Brazil. Um, Slava, we're getting to the end of our conversation here. Uh, it's good, but it's it's been great, but uh, it's time for us to wrap up. So uh, just before we do this, I want to you know think about yourself when you're starting your uh, professional life. If you could give any piece of advice to your to the uh, younger version of yourself, what would that be? Uh, it's a it's very complicated question. Uh, I tend to say that, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I have one. I think we as a, as a as as a human beings we are under especially from developing countries, and I'm coming from developing countries. You extremely underestimate importance of your of the information that you know at yeah and, and you just extremely underestimate and you as you tend to optimize some of your decisions that can have a long-term impact like what to study where to learn where to work how to choose between different job opportunities and you do this uh, selection or these choices based on limited information and then you understand that oh actually i just was not aware about this for example when i was studying in uh, university i i was i i had my knowledge of english like the best in class and i was relaxed because i was comparing i, I was saying like i already better than everyone else. But when I joined the real world, I understand that my peers in top university was not the right uh, representative group that I want to compare myself. Because if you work to be international professional, you want to compare yourself and compete with native speakers. And this completely different level of English. And then when I first, when I understand this, uh, I understood this, I, I was already working. And then it took me another two years to study three times after work going to English school because it, it was not enough to, to join international community. Uh, another thing that I didn't expect and people maybe from United States will not understand it, but from developing countries, for me, it was completely in, uh, behind my understanding, this opportunity that you can get as professional, as professional uh, to do professional career, because I, I couldn't imagine that you can get a job that where you can earn 25k per year. That might sound funny for United States, but for developing countries, as a to get 25k per year as a fresh graduate without any background, without any experience when you don't need to take bribes without corruption and without any like relatives, it was just behind my understanding that it's even possible. And those limitations of, of my mind actually resulted in, in some choices that, that, that I made. And for me, it, it, it worked well. I mean, overall, I just maybe... Uh, yeah, I, I, I worked in, in, in top in top companies, like uh, prestigious companies. It, 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 it still worked. But uh, I understand that for other guys, it might not work well. So I would give this advice for myself, younger myself, try to expand your understanding that your information, that you, your knowledge of all possibilities uh, at much, much higher level, much broader, not to limit yourself in your head. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I see myself in a similar, uh, position, uh, until I start having some more international experiences, traveling around, you know, doing, uh, getting involved with, uh, international organizations. I, I compare the way I was thinking at the time, uh, you know, 
versus uh, after after uh, these experiences. And we do we we are limited by our mind, right? We are totally limited by how how far our mind can think. And until you see those different scenarios, it's like you've never seen this color or a colorblind person, and you ask them like to you know how can they imagine that color if they have never seen it, right? So it's a it's exactly the same thing for me. Great. Uh, Slava, last thing I have here, well, actually, last two things is uh, I would like to ask you if you have any recommendations for our audience in terms of books, movies, podcasts, any anything that you, you, you'd like to address. Uh, and then where can our audience find you online? I can recommend three books. If, 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 if this allowed, if, if this applicable. What is? Do it. No, this I'll is... I'll notes here. Uh, and I, I'm more a book guy, and not, I, I, I also watch a lot of movies, but I think books, really, I enjoy reading books. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time for this, but I want to share this. And I think everyone, and what I like about bo- the books that I will recommend, that they are all, like, real. It's, it's not fiction. But they're written in a very easy way, entertaining way. And I think this is also one of the arts of the writer to provide useful, practical, important information that helps the reader to expand his, his mind, to, to, and, but in a nice way, in an entertaining way. Uh, I think it's extremely important not only to read the book, but also to try to stick that some knowledge and remember. Uh, so three books. First one has a name Case in Point, Case in Point, by Mark Cosentina. This is a Harvard Business School professor. And the book is about case, different cases. So first, I think 15 pages just different frame, frameworks that might be applicable to business, and this might be skipped. But then another 100 pages uh, is written in two, three pages of interviews. It's real examples of interviews when you have dialogue of two people. And as the beginning of this 70 or 100, don't remember how many exactly, cases, it's like conundrums, business problems. Like, we, a multinational company, trying to enter that market. How can we do this? Or we developed a teleportation machine that can teleport. What should be price? And I I think that why I like this book, because it provides you, by, by reading this, it shows you how questions that sound for you completely difficult impossible to answer at all or impossible to answer during just a a sequence of 20 common sense questions, it provides you with belief that something is, that it's actually possible. And I think this belief is much more important than content because, uh, yeah, once you believe that something is possible, it's uh, then a matter of technique or matter of number of trials. I, th- I think this very cool book, I, I read this several times as uh, preparation to interviews to management consulting, but then I recommended this book to any person who don't even want to uh, go to management consulting at all because it helps you to become much more developed, open-minded person and with belief in yourself more. Second book is called The Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And this is a scientist and writer who studied top achievers, top performers in different aspects of of life, starting from business, from in sports, in education, there are a lot of cool examples. And I think it's also very interesting to see 
what are the factors that helps to get achieve great success in different aspects of, of, of life. And the third one, I read it just last month. Uh, it called uh, Guns, Germs and Steel by Jared Diamond. Can you, can you, can you repeat the name? Guns? Yes. Guns, Germs, G-E-R-M-S yeah. and Steel. Okay. And this is a winner of the Pulitzer Prize. Um, and I think this is a great book because it's so interesting. The, the book explains why one nation or country is more developed than others and more rich than others. And if there is any... Um, is there is the reason for this maybe in part, that particular people are more smart than others, like from genetical point of view, or there is other factors. And why is it happened? And he studied to the root cause of, of this. And he explained this in a normal language. So you, you, can, you can follow the whole logic and, and you can understand this high level view, helicopter picture, starting from 10,000 years ago to, to now. And he said that if... Uh, how, how to say that? Someone who lives in a different planet. Uh, wow. Alien. Alien? If an, <laughs> alien, yes. If alien can, uh, came to our planet 10,000 years ago, he would uh, and try to project what country will be more developed now, he would say that by far Africa would be the most developed and all other areas will be just uh, some branches of, of Africa. And he is explaining then studied why is, why is it so. And I think this is with uh, all um, polarization that currently happens in the world, that all different disbalance of different countries, different nations. I think this uh, book that will help to understand as a big picture and really understand why, why is it happening. And he studies the root causes of this, not to say that, oh, this is because of development of particular technology that gave a huge boost for a particular country. But then he tried to understand, okay, but why the technology was developed in this country? Like why Europeans went to... United States and op- no, no, to, to America to, to, uh, and not United, uh, not America or like uh, Inc, Inc or Maya went to or wh- wh- why China who actually 100 years before Europe has fleet maybe 100 times larger than Europe and we're doing this wh- wh- why did it happen why China didn't conquer the whole world like so so interesting to read. I, I really recommend. Sounds interesting. I I, I took notes here. Probably gonna uh, buy those in Amazon in the next few sure. hours to see. I need some new reads. So yeah, it's, it's, the books are available in audio format as well. So if for someone who drives a lot or just do uh, jogging, running, this is the way how I usually uh, listen to to, to books. Yeah, maybe it would be a good point to find them and provide name or links in, 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 uh, to, in this, the description. to this podcast. Yeah, just yeah, to make let's it easy do this. Uh, yeah, in terms of the last question was, where can it, someone find me? Uh, I'm always open to new connections. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I think the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn by Slava Gavrilchenko. Uh, yeah, I have open profile, uh, looking for new connections, especially here in, in North America, because uh, I just moved here in the industry. But uh, in general, yeah, if someone wants to reach me, please shoot a message and I will happily connect. Awesome. Your, your last name is a little bit complicated, but we're going to have it written there in, yes. the, in the description. Yes, well. Sir. For a, for a, for the Western, <laughs> but yes. no, that's that's just great. 
Uh, Slava, I really appreciate you taking the time, you know, to share a little bit of your uh, story, experiences, and thoughts. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. You travel all around, uh, you know, involved in multiple, multiple challenges yes. and uh, <laughs> opportunities. So thanks a lot for joining us today and sharing all of, all those not all that knowledge. Sure. Thanks for thanks for having me. It was a nice discussion. Perfect. So thanks everyone that stayed here uh, listening to us. We really appreciate it and see you in the next episode.